It's the tip of the spear in the epic battle to defend the United States of America. The National Security Hour exposes the wolves in sheep's clothing and their nefarious plots to undermine and destroy U.S. national security. Welcome back to the National Security Hour on the America Out Loud talk radio network on iHeartRadio. Voice of Freedom, the Out Loud Truth. America Out Loud talk radio plays on the iHeartRadio network. You can also listen to us on our media player from any web browser anywhere in the world. We have the best in-class apps available on Apple, Android, Alexa, and we stream 24-7. And now you too can also hear them on the podcast on those same apps. All of our shows go out to podcasts typically one to two days after the broadcast is heard on iHeartRadio. You can hear them on Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeart Podcast, and many more. Be sure to subscribe and rate our show, The National Security Hour, on Apple Podcasts for us. Okay, be sure to make AmericaOutloud.com your daily stop for the latest news and happenings. And you really do want to do that. It's 24-7, a lot of things up there, great shows up there, right? We all must do our part and share the stories, the articles, and the videos so that we can help secure America's future. You can find out more about our show and get all the latest on the menu nav bar at americaoutloud.com under our show or schedule. And you will be in the know, all right? So we just want to say we're back again. We're thankful. Thank you to Mary. We're filling in here on the National Security Hour on Friday. As you know, Dr. Mike, Colonel Mike, your host today. We normally are on Monday, but we like to sit in on Friday when we do History Hour because our country you know, they don't teach history anymore. In fact, there's a whole story about education today and civics. And I think that the kids in the eighth grade now, they, the only election they know is 2020. So we're really in bad shape. So today we're happy to have as our guest, John Cribb, who just have, has a new book out called The Rail Splitter. And we want to welcome him to the National Security Hour. John, welcome to the National Security Hour with Dr. Mike and Colonel Mike. Well, thank you, Colonel Mike and Dr. Mike, to both of you for having me on. I'm, uh, I'm glad to be here. Uh, you're welcome, sir. So why don't we let you open up who you are, you're an author, and your background, and then we'll go right to the book. All right. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, let's say my name's John Cribb, and I'm from uh, Spartanburg, South Carolina, originally. Grew up grew up here, and um, uh, after went away to college after I grew up in Spartanburg to Vanderbilt University, and then... From there to uh, Washington, D.C., uh, where I went to work for the Reagan administration and uh, thought I was going to be there for a year or two, ended up being there for quite a bit longer than that. But I uh, worked for the Reagan administration for four and a half years at the Department of Justice and uh, Department of Education, National Endowment for the Humanities, and did, did a bunch of other stuff. Uh, mostly uh, all my jobs have included involved writing in one way or the other, um, mostly nonfiction in the areas of history and education. Uh, but my latest uh, two books uh, as you, are, are about Abraham Lincoln. As you said, the, the newest one is called The Rail Splitter, uh, which is an historical novel. Uh, and uh, it tells the story of Lincoln's life uh, before he was president. And then uh, it is uh, it, it, where, where it leaves off in late 1859. It starts him off as a teenager on the uh, 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 Indiana frontier. 
and uh, goes up through just past the Lincoln-Douglas debates. Uh, and then, so it ends in late 1859. And then my other historical novel, Old Abe, uh, begins in 1860, spring of 1860, when Lincoln's being nominated for the presidency. And it walks you through the last five years of his life, so through his uh, his presidency. So these two novels taken together, The Rail Splitter and Old Abe, um, tell tell the story of Lincoln's life from his youth on the frontier through through the end. And to my knowledge, uh, the two books taken together, the only uh, telling of his whole life like that through um, through uh, you know historical fiction. Um, so, so even though there are a lot of books out on Lincoln out there, the, these these two are a little different. Well, you couldn't have a, a better co-host today to be on the show with you, which is Dr. Michael Scheuer. New York Times bestselling author. And Mike, I'll let you lead it off. John, it's very nice of you to join us today. We, we had uh, uh, great expectations and we, we were delighted to be able to get you here uh, to talk about your books. It certainly takes a brave man to step out and write uh, something about Abraham Lincoln, given the, the number of books that are out there. But as you say, the, the, the paucity of, of uh, really... Uh, 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 fictional, uh, historical fiction on, on Lincoln is really quite um, limited. I, uh, you know, Gore Vidal wrote a novel about Lincoln. I don't know if it covered his whole life, though. Uh, yeah, it, uh, it, and that was published way back in the 80s. A long time ago. And, so. Yeah, and it didn't, doesn't cover his whole life the way uh, these two novels uh, did do. And that book, uh, you know, kind of is from different perspectives of uh, people around Lincoln. Yes. Um, so, and it's, it's uh, takes place during his presidency. So a different, different approach. Uh, these two books are not told in the first person as if Lincoln is uh, narrating it, but it's a third person narrative, but you're at his side. You're at Lincoln's elbow um, every page. As you as you go through these these books, so you're basically seeing events unfold as um, as Lincoln saw them unfold. And let's so, dive right into it. Yeah, let's dive right into it, John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's always interesting. I think the the for a biographer or a historical, in your case, a fiction a historical fiction writer, and also have worked clearly in in uh, nonfiction topics. What how do, how do you go about getting a handle on the research materials for it? It's a it's a, it must be a daunting um, uh, thing to look at to see where you've got to go to get where you're going. Yeah, yeah, it 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 was daunting, and and as you as you said a minute ago, even writing a book about Abraham Lincoln is is daunting um, because there are so many uh, books written about him. Um, several years ago, somebody actually took on as a project trying to count all the Lincoln books that ever been written. And he counted about 15,000. Uh, I, I say that I think he probably just stopped when he got to 15,000, but there are more than that then. And I, now there's certainly more now. I've seen 20, 25,000. They say there are more books have been written about Lincoln than anybody in history other than Jesus Christ. And I, I think <laughs> that's probably right. Um, maybe Winston Churchill comes in, you know, close third, who knows. But um, almost all of them nonfiction. So, um, but, but, so, but, but just adding to that pile of books is, is kind of uh, uh, daunting and, and daring, as you say, and then trying to write a book 
you know, where you're getting into Lincoln's head makes it even more daunting. But as you can imagine, it just involves an, an amazing amount of, of, of research, which I love. And the research for, for these books uh, basically fell into three broad categories. Uh, first of all, just good old fashioned uh, book research. Um, I've got on my bookshelves um, in my here in my home about probably by now about 300 books about Lincoln and his times. Um, everything from general biographies to, um, you know, books about life during the Civil War, but a lot of old books uh, that are long out of print were written by people who knew Lincoln and had firsthand dealings with him, like his cabinet secretaries or his old law colleagues or, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And those books were in, invaluable to the research because they contain firsthand accounts of conversations and dealings with Lincoln uh, and so, you know, you're you're going to get a perspective that you're just not going to get in books written later on by people who didn't know him directly. So a lot of book research. And then, of course, the, se- the second category is Internet research. You're just, you know, in today's, today's age, you got to do Internet research, right? And there's a lot of great stuff out there about Lincoln on the Internet. Um, you know, his uh, the, like like the Lincoln papers at the Library of Congress, you can go online and see all of his, you know, digital copies of all of his papers in his own handwriting, like the Gettysburg Address and others. Um, his complete works of writings are all online and searchable. I, I mean, I've got the hard copy set too. It's probably about 10 volumes, but you can get it online too. Um, and then a lot of great, of course, as y'all know, I'm sure a lot of great Civil War sites. And oh, for example, there's a great site called Mr. Lincoln's White House that you can go on and it has floor plans of the White House as it existed in Lincoln's day. And you can click on any of the rooms and it'll pull up pictures of what, you know, that room looked like at the time and stories of things that took happened happened in those rooms. So, um, you know, there's, there's so much great research about Lincoln out there. And that was true long before the Internet ever came along. You know, generations of both professional and, and amateur historians have labored long and hard to study Lincoln's life. And my books certainly would not have been possible without all that that work. Uh, so internet research. And then the third really most valuable uh, category of research was travel to the places where he lived and worked. Uh, every place from Sinking Spring Farm in Kentucky, where he was born, to Ford's Theater, where he was, uh, of course, shot. And a lot of places in between, uh, like his home in Illinois and Springfield and uh, the boyhood home where he grew up in Indiana and uh, New Salem, Illinois, which is a little uh, frontier village he lived in as a young man. And the state of Illinois has uh, reconstructed uh, that, you know, walking the, the the ground that he walked and trying to soak up the atmosphere of the, the world that he lived in as, as it still exists, to the extent it still exists, is absolutely invaluable. And by the way, the historians and docents and park rangers and, you know, volunteers who staff those places, they are often experts in that one slice of, of Lincoln's life, and uh, their their insights are invaluable. So anyway, a lot and a lot of research, and as you can imagine, that took a took took some time. I I got first got the idea for these books way back in two thousand six, believe it or not. And my wife teases me sometimes. She says, "Johnny, it only it only took took four years to fight the Civil War. It's taken you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> basically four times that amount of time to get these two books up." Uh, finally out. But but in my defense, uh, uh, they were part time, you know, jobs, part, part time labors of love. I didn't I wasn't working on it full time. And as you all know, I'm sure that's sometimes how books unfold. Uh, but anyway, here we are at last. Well, certainly, the, you know, that's the the one thing that is an amazing um, benefit from the Internet 
is to uh, when I was a young, uh, you know, all but dissertation guy at university, you only could research at places you could afford to get to. Yeah. And uh, my my uh, uh, backup of cash at that time was pretty minimal. So if I had had the stuff today, I, you know, I think my dissertation would have been much better because I just couldn't get to the information then. So it's a it's a wonderful thing. Uh, there's a lot of bad parts about the internet, but in terms of historical research, it's it's quite um, it's quite admirable. And also, as you said about the websites, you you can see the devotion of so many Americans to their history. Not only Civil War Abraham Lincoln, but uh, I had to look up something day uh, the other day about uh, 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 Guadalcanal, the battle and the airfield Henderson Field. And to my surprise, I had four different websites that make a point of covering where our airfields were in the Pacific in the Second War and what they're doing now. Are they airfields? Are they buildings? Are they towns? Or are they just overgrown? But I, I, I digress too much uh, on this, but it's, it is it is a wonderful asset. Well, you know, and I, yeah, I don't think it's a digression at all. I think it's a, an important point and one, you know, remember... Uh, because there is, it's easy to focus on what's wrong with the internet. And I mean, every time I go on, you know, f- for example, Wikipedia and look at some stuff, it's, I want to my, pull my hair out. Some, sometimes the historical accounts of people have, you know, corrupted the history. Yes. <laughs> um, although Wikipedia is great in a lot of ways too. And, and, and one great thing about it is it has, uh, if you drop down to the bottom, a lot of the time it'll point you to, you know, primary source uh, material that you can you can it's a quick way to get to that but yes. but anyway it is important to remember that you know there there are so many good people and a lot of patriots out there who have spent so much of their time studying history and and making that available on the internet and a lot of them are veterans i gotta say a lot of them are yeah. veterans and they're so not only putting it there but they're preserving it you know yes. that i think that's an important point too that people who spend their time and their money constructing these sites on lincoln or anyone else they're really not in it for the money they're really in it for the love of country and for the love of history which is a, a rare thing in our in our society these days except for these people we find on the internet yeah i agree yeah. so it's I, I think it's a really great point an important one to remember is that you know it's it's uh it's not all bad out there <laughs> and on, on the yeah. on the web there's some really good stuff it's just that you have to have the develop the judgment to you know sort the the wheat from the chaff and also just kind of know what's rot when you when you run yeah. across it it's, it's like everything else you got to have two sources at least that agree yeah that's right and i by the yeah. way i liked to have in, in these two books my my aim was to have three source three independent yeah sources for uh you know for for what I, any any points of facts that i was uh, writing and and i should i should say that both of these two novels the rail splitter and old Abe, are heavy on the history um you know some some historical novels are basically just you know they're, they're made up stories that are set in the past uh these two these two novels are uh i really did my best to to, to tell the true story of lincoln I, I i tell people he's not chasing vampires or killing zombies or anything like that there's a <laughs> You know, this is this is his life story, and so you're going to get a lot of history in these two um, these two books. John, the the one the one one point I want several points I want to ask you about, but the first one is 
the Civil War has devolved into a, a war for freeing the slaves. And having written now a full biography uh, of Lincoln, uh, would, would, could you talk a little bit about how far off base that, that is? And indeed, I think people think there was some kind of a, a steel dividing wall between North and South and that everyone in the North was uh, you know, willing to fight to the death to free the slaves. And it sh Lincoln should have done more sooner and I, I don't think people have a good handle on that. And I think you, having started from uh, the cradle and followed him to the grave event eventually, it, it's, it might be worth to, uh, a couple minutes to talk about uh, the development of his own personal view on slavery and also how he coped with the opposition to him because he was interested in ending slavery in the North during the war. All right, John, yeah. before we dump into that and yeah. dive into it, uh, we're going to come up on a commercial break. Right. And I want you to hold that thought, Mike and John. And when we come back, we'll go right into that right after the commercial. Thank you. If you're like me, you'd like life to return to some kind of normal. You're burned out on all the fear-mongering, but deep down you try and minimize viral exposure and your risk of getting sick. You've heard it talked about time and again by respected medical professionals. Use a pulvinone iodine nasal solution. I don't need to tell you just how powerful a nasal cleansing formula with xylitol, pulvinone iodine, and vitamin D3 for immune support could be. In fact, my attorney told me not to tell you. Google it and find out for yourself. Now, get yourself a bottle of American-made CofixRx nasal solution. Let's get out and live again. CofixRx.com. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com. Use coupon code out loud and get 20% off. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like Freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be, with a company that shares your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. For 40 years, alarmists have been warning of a climate catastrophe, yet none of their dire predictions have come true. Temperatures have not soared, sea level rise has not been unusual, and extreme weather events have not increased in either frequency or intensity. In short, there is no climate emergency. 
For 15 years, the International Climate Science Coalition has led the call for climate realism and a Made in America climate plan, a plan based on real science that responds to the real world needs of Americans, supports economic growth, and strengthens our essential infrastructure, a plan that protects the environment and ensures that Americans can enjoy the blessings of clean air, clean land, and clean water for generations to come. It's time to put ideology and pseudoscience aside. It's time for a sensible climate plan. For more information or to donate, visit our website, icsc-climate.com. Welcome back. You're on the National Security Hour on the America Out Loud talk radio network. Your host today, Dr. Michael Scheuer and Colonel Mike, and we're happy to come back segment two with author John Cribb, his latest book, The Rail Splitter, all about Lincoln. So this segment, we're going to deep dive right into the book. And John, welcome back. Dr. Mike, welcome back. Don't forget you're on the iHeart Network with Liberty and Justice for All. So let's go right into it. John, what would you like to start with? Yeah, well, I think uh, Dr. Mike was asking about um, Lincoln's, uh, uh, you know, views on slavery. Yes, yes. Let's and, go with uh, that. Yeah, how they evolved. And and um, this is something that you'll you see if you read the rail splitter um, uh, beginning per, pretty early on in the book. Lincoln, I think, um, I think he, he held pretty much the same uh, view of slavery his whole life. And it, that is that he didn't like it one bit. Um, he once said he said if slavery is not wrong, then nothing is wrong. And he said he couldn't really remember a time when he didn't think that. Um, he grew up in a family that was anti-slavery. Uh, they, the church they attended was an anti-slavery church. Um, one of the reasons the Lincolns apparently moved from Kentucky to Indiana uh, when Lincoln was young was because Kentucky was a slave state and Indiana was a was free soil. That, not the only reason, but one of one of the reasons they moved. Um, and if uh, in the rail splitter early on, for example, you'll, there's a chapter that uh, when Lincoln is uh, at, a, at a grist mill with his cousin, John Hanks, and some other people, and a, and a slave hunter shows up. This is in uh, southern Indiana, about 15 or 20 miles from the Ohio River. And uh, Indiana, as I say, was a free, a free state, uh, but was right across the river from Kentucky. And uh, slave hunters were constantly prowling uh, the southern southern. Indiana looking for runaway slaves and a slave hunter shows up at this grist mill looking for um, a, a runaway as they called him and uh, it's just an uncomfortable situation you know, the, the Lincoln and the others they just don't like it they don't like this guy uh, people people took a you know, view uh, slave hunters as people who are taking advantage of a very un- bad situation um, so at any rate he you know he grows up disliking slavery and think of it, thinking of it as morally wrong. And by the time you get to the Lincoln-Douglas debates uh, in 1858, at the very end of the rail splitter, you see Lincoln standing up uh, and arguing uh, that slavery is, is morally wrong. But but Lincoln was not an abolitionist. Uh, sometimes people get confused about that because he did abolish slavery, you know, with the Emancipation Proclamation and then, of course, the 13th Amendment that he helped push through Congress. But Lincoln was actually what was known as an anti-slavery man. And the difference was that anti, the anti-slavery men, uh, they just they didn't like slavery at all. 
and wanted it gone. But they be- they believed that just ending it abruptly and suddenly would cause so much disruption and upheaval that would do it would do more harm than good. That the best way to deal with it uh, was to basically st- strangle it by keeping it contained in the South. And if you could keep it contained in the South and not let it get out of the South and into the new states coming into the Union, then it was going, for a variety of reasons, was going to die its own uh, death. And this is the debate really that triggered the Civil War. It was the main topic of the debates in the Lincoln-Douglas debates. And then if you read Lincoln's first inaugural, you know, this is the issue that he's addressing. In the first inaugural, he tells the, the South, I'm not going to disturb slavery in the southern states where it's already legal. For one thing, he believed the Constitution gave him no authority to, to do that. Um, but he says, I'm not going to let it get into get it out of get out of the South. I'm not going to let the new slavery be in the new states coming into the Union. And uh, this this is something that slaveholding uh, slaveholders in the South, at least the secessionists just couldn't couldn't abide. Um, so uh, but Lincoln uh Dr. Mike, as you said, he, you know, he he had a lot of issues to deal with during the Civil War, a lot of different things that he was thinking about and trying to juggle. And this is one thing that causes confusion with people and also often causes people to attack Lincoln uh, today, I think usually unfairly. Um, he, you know, he he really started the war saying this is a fight to save the Union, first and foremost. And that that really was the foremost you know, mission all the way through in a lot of ways, even even when he uh, issued the Emancipation Proclamation, because Lincoln knew that really what was at stake with the Union were our founding principles, especially those principles in the Declaration of Independence, which was his favorite founding document. They were all created equal and all uh, have the right to life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. And Lincoln insisted that 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 enslaved people had those rights, too, and those rights were being taken away from them. But Lincoln knew that without, if the Union went away, if the, if, you know, then this this grand American experiment would, would very likely go out of existence. That wasn't going to do the slaves any good at all, right? So in a lot of ways, you had to save the Union in order to free the slaves. You had to do it. I mean, it, just think about it for a second. You couldn't you couldn't let the Union split in two and say to the South, all right, go go your way and have your slaves. That wasn't, wasn't going to do the slaves any good. But All right, Mike. What do you think about Mike? What do you think about that point? Well, I think I think that's exactly correct. Uh, when uh, Mr. Briggs said that uh, Lincoln had a lot on his plate in his as his in, during his four four years or almost five years in in uh, in the presidency, it's it's an unbelievable amount of problems he had. And and I think the important thing for people to see is that the population in the United States was definitely not ready in North or South in in a majority way. Right. Uh, for free slaves. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. I have in um, in the in the second novel, Old Abe, a chapter where there's an, an old Quaker comes to Lincoln and uh, to talk to him, to urge him to free the slaves. And Lincoln tells this man, you know, gently, you need to be patient. It's hard to have patience on this. We need to wait. The, the North is not ready for this. Um, you know, there's some people, you know, think that the North was full of saints who, you know, all wanted to abolish slavery and the South was full of nothing but racist. Listen, the, in, in the North was full of people who had attitudes that today we would consider racist. And Lincoln knew that, number one, if he if he said this is a war to end slavery too soon, he was going to lose the, the border states. 
And if the border states went out of the union, then as he put it, the, the game is up. We can't, we, we just can't win at that point. And he also knew that if he said too soon that this is, this is a war, you know, we're going to end slavery, that a lot of the union soldiers would simply drop their rifles and walk off the field because they were, they were willing to go to war to save the union, to, to keep the country together. They were not willing to go to war and risk being shot or killed for, for black people. And that's just, that's the way it was in Lincoln. That's the way it was. He wouldn't have had yeah. a corps of infantry to fight right. the Confederates if he said, we're going to go just go free the slaves. And that's, right. that's the purpose of this war. Right. I think, and, what did he say about the border states? He said, I'd love to have God's support, but I must have Kentucky. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> I must have Kentucky. I must have Kentucky. Yeah. So people, it's it's easy to armchair this, you know, and in 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 retrospect, but Lincoln just had so much that he was we was dealing with. So, you know, and and he was by no means uh perfect and he made mistakes during the war, I think, all the way through. But um, and some of them were were, were not, you know, were, were significant ones. But um, I, by and large, you know, I, I, I think and, and of course, as you all know, there's a um, Lincoln. Lincoln has, all, has always been, uh, you know, attacked from from both sides. He was very much attacked when he was alive. But even today, especially from the left now, as you all know, people want to tear down statues of Lincoln and um I, I don't know if y'all y'all have seen it, but uh, there's a there's a program on the Disney uh, channel, the streaming uh, service called The Proud Family, louder and prouder. I don't know if y'all know this. It's a it's a cartoon. It's an animated one. And uh, the last the episode of their latest uh, season have a have a scene that uh, attacks Lincoln. Um, there's some it's a classroom, and the students are in the classroom, and they're they're African American students, and um, one of them says, you know, Lincoln didn't care about uh, freeing enslaved people. And their their teacher, you know, it's kind of a sensey nods. And he says, um, he says, uh, not only that, he said, but uh, uh, he says he wanted to, de- to deport us all. And then one of the students says that should be the first line of his biography. And uh, in another episode, they, they, they say that Lincoln didn't really free the slaves. You know, these are all either lies or distortions of history um, that are outright attacks on Lincoln that that are so so unhelpful to say the least. And uh, you know, people can get away with this kind of thing when 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 people just don't know their history. They they buy this, yeah. and uh, that's that's we, we're seeing the, the the terrible fruits. I'm afraid of. Uh, schools just not having done a good job at all of teaching history for a long time now. I think that most Americans probably haven't seen the the editorial cartoons of of the uh, 1864 election, but what, how they pictured Lincoln was as uh, uh, himself being um, the great protector of the blacks and trying to make them better citizens than whites and some of the most vicious political cartoons you'll ever see in your life. That's exactly right. The cartoons and editorials that called him a, you know, everything from a tyrant to just an adult, confused rube from the prairies who had no idea what he was doing was in over his head. Um, the Republicans, uh, Stephen Douglas and others uh, referred to, uh, was leading up to the war, uh, the Republicans as, as the black Republicans and yes. said, you know, pulled every racist, you know, uh, 
trope and they could race card they could possibly um you know pull out and this this went on and on and on through through the war people you know people we kind of think that some, sometimes we think of lincoln as this great iconic figure that was as above reproach but he was he was vilified uh, by much of the northern press all the way uh you know through through the war uh, yeah. so uh it's um it's an eye opener when you read some of that stuff oh i think so in regard to your most recent book um we always are, are, we learn in school or we used to learn in school that Lincoln was a self-taught person. But I think when, when we were, when we were told that we were, we were always uh, thinking, you know, he learned, he taught himself how to learn and re- to read and write and how to add sums and uh, you know, know a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But your book makes clear that he was uh, 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 almost a polymath in his ability to teach himself not only the rudimentaries of education, but become a very, very sophisticated lawyer and, and have a, a background and a store of knowledge that reached into many disciplines. And if you could, I think our listeners would, would be very interested in, in learning that part about Lincoln that's covered in the, in the rail splitter. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, well, he really would, as you say, he had very little formal education. Um, he used to say that his father sent him to school by littles. He said a little here and a little there in between, you know, plantings and plowings. And those littles added up to less than one year of school, his entire life. And that took place in little log cabin schoolhouses on the frontier. But he really did love learning. He loved reading. And, and according to people who knew him when he was young, he would, he would walk miles, you know, through the Indiana woods to get hold of a book if he could and, and often did. And actually the rail splitter starts off with a story of a uh, of, of, uh, true story about uh, his having borrowed a, a biography of George Washington from a neighboring farmer named Josiah Crawford. And he manages to, uh, to ruin this book by accident and he has to, has to make up for it. But he, um, you know, he just loved reading. He used to say, my best friend is a man who can get me a book when he was young. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, that continued really through his, his whole life. And he, um, for example, when he was a young man, he was living in this little little frontier village called New Salem, Illinois, out on the frontier. And he decided that he was never going to be a good speaker or writer if he didn't know more grammar. So he walked six miles to bar to get hold of a book called Kirkham's Grammar. And uh, he took it back to New Salem with him and he you know, read it from cover to cover. He studied it. He used to hand it to, to his friends and say, here, quiz me on my rules of grammar. And he basically memorizes this book until, he, you know, he turns himself into a good grammarian. And he's a good grammarian for the rest of his life, which is, you know, while we have the Gettysburg Address and those other great writings of his. Um, a short time later, he decides that he is going to try to become an attorney. And uh, he, he hesitated about that because he, 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 he did have so little formal schooling. And and Lincoln was somewhat, you know, he was conscious about his whole life that he had so little formal schooling and, and in some ways embarrassed about it. But he decides to take a, make a go at it. And he gets hold of a, a book called Blackstone's Commentaries on the Laws of England, uh, which was the standard uh, introduction to law in those days. And, and other, he gets hold of other books. And he, um, you know, years later, people in New Salem remembered seeing him sitting on uh, tree stumps and fence rails or just walking along with these books in his hands. And he studied away until he learned enough law to be admitted to the bar and, um, you know, became an attorney and eventually a very, very good attorney. But even then, uh, he, you know, as an attorney, 
he um he uh would would he he would twice a year he would go out riding the old eighth judicial circuit which covered a huge part of uh, central illinois and in the early days he rode by buggy and later on by train but as he traveled he would he carried uh, books of euclidean geometry with him because he was fascinated with math and in his spare time he would you know as he was riding across the prairies he would read these uh these geometry books um so and uh oh one more story uh when he was president, I love this. When he was president, he got to, you know, he gets to Washington. And as y'all know, the country was already falling apart. A lot of people don't realize that before he was he was sworn into office, the country had already split. You know, he was elected in, in November of 1860, and South Carolina goes out of the Union in late December, and other uh, 1860 and other states begin to follow quickly. So by the time he's sworn into office on March 4th, 1861, the country's already falling apart. And soon, you know, is it worth itself? And he he quickly realizes he really doesn't know very much about fighting a war, much less overseeing, you know, a giant war effort. So one of the things he does is he checks some books out of a Library of Congress on how to fight a war. And he just goes to work, <laughs> you know, reading these books. So he at least has some terminology under his belt that he can he can talk to his generals with. But he gets the hang of it between reading reports and books and then and then talking to his cabinet members and gen- listening to generals. Lincoln is brilliant, as you say, at learning on the job, not only by reading, but by listening to people. He's really good at listening to people. He, he says, he, you know, show me the right way and I'll follow it if I can. So All right, he, John, uh, we're, he, coming he down, we're coming down to the last minute. I don't want to cut you off. This is yeah. really interesting, very exciting. And we could probably use a bunch of those Blackstone books today and take these lawyers out of these poison Ivy league schools and give them a book to learn law because a lot of these lawyers, they, I don't know, they go to these poison Ivy league schools and they come out worse than ever. Yeah, we need some yeah. more Lincoln training. We're coming up on the commercial. You're on the national security hour with Dr. Mike and Colonel Mike. Our guest today is John Cribs and you're on AmericaOutloud.com. We'll be back for the final segment right after the commercial. Out Loud Truth was the rallying call that started it all. A wide spectrum of programming from world and political news to societal, your health, and cultural stories. Seven amazing years of news stories, informative podcasts, and great talk radio. America Out Loud Talk Radio. The liberty and justice for all. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD. The pandemic may be over for some. But millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. 
You've heard Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company discuss the harmful effects of spike protein in your body. And now they found the solution. The miracle enzyme natokinase. Their spike support formula contains natokinase, the most compelling and scientifically supported approach to safely clear spike protein out of the body. What's more, spike support is optimized with other all-natural, non-GMO ingredients, like dandelion root, to help prevent spike protein from binding to your cells. Everyone should take daily spike support so you can feel your best. America Out Loud listeners can go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. You wouldn't go a day without brushing your teeth or washing your hands. What about washing your nose? I mean, your nose does filter the air you breathe, air loaded with bacteria, viruses, and irritants. Make nasal hygiene part of your routine with Clear. No messy bottles to fill, no drowning sensation. Clear is a natural drug-free saline with the added benefit of xylitol, which blocks bacterial and viral adhesion. Available in stores and online at clear.com. That is X-L-E-A-R.com. Welcome back to the National Security Hour. And you're on History Friday with Dr. Michael Scheuer and your host, Colonel Mike. Today we have a guest, John Cribbs, and we're discussing his latest book, The Rail Splitter. This is great for anybody who knows Lincoln and likes Lincoln. And for you kids that don't know anything about Lincoln, maybe you should pick up a copy of this book or pick it up for your grandchildren or your children. And don't forget, AmericaOutloud.com, 24-7, with liberty and justice for all. We're going into the final segment. John, what would you like to start it off with? Well, I would uh, maybe the thought that um, that Lincoln, you know, I think there really is a problem in this this country uh, with a lot of people not knowing about much about history and about our own American story or misunderstanding. And uh, one of the reasons I wrote these two books was to bring Lincoln alive uh, for people. And that's why I chose historical fiction as the vehicle to do it. But I also wanted to remind people of just what an extraordinary life he lived. Um, that that journey he made from a log cabin to the White House, that is the story of the rail splitter, um, really is, it's a remarkable story. And I'm not talking about the way I wrote it. It was just, I mean, it, he just lived a remarkable life. It's a remarkable journey. It is the story of the American dream. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an important one for uh, people to know. Uh, generations of Americans have known it and admired Lincoln for it. And I don't want us to lose that. And then the story of, of his, his, his presidency, which is the story I tell in, in old Abe, um, the last five years was like, you know, he really was that giant hero in that epic struggle to save our country when it was literally falling apart, to save our founding principles when a lot of people were ready to pass them aside, and of course, help lead the fight to free millions of enslaved Americans. So I, I tell people, I think you understand the American story better if you know and understand Abraham Lincoln's story, because in a lot of ways, he still stands center stage in our great American story. And he, you know, he does indeed stand uh, center stage. And he is a good example, I think, for all of this country, particularly in this point in time, is that you don't necessarily have to have 
a college education to be successful in your life, to proceed from whatever your birth surroundings were and whatever your family's income was to a better life. And, and he, he was often scorned, as you said, for lack of formal education. But, you know, sometimes I think we've had way too many uh, people with great deals of formal education and not much common sense at all. And if you can say anything about Lincoln, it, that he's a paragon of common sense. Right. He really is. A paragon of both common sense and character. Yes. Uh, because the, the things that that made him a really great president were not only his intellect and his common sense and his eagerness to learn, but his um, his his character and traits he learned growing up on the frontier, um, like perseverance and hard work and, um, you know, uh, patriotism, love of country. Uh, they really made him, I think, the great president that he was. But yeah, the, you're right about you don't know, but not everybody has to go to college. That's for sure. We're learning that today more and more, aren't we? Is, 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 there's one great story. Do I have time for a quick quick story about Lincoln? Yes. And, and that, uh, and I, this is a story I tell in the Rail Splitter, but it's a true story that he, um, he had, that by, by the time he was a successful lawyer in Springfield, and he he became a quite prosperous, successful lawyer. At one point, he was hired to be part of a big, uh, big case that was going on. Uh, that involved the famous McCormick Reaper that revolutionized agriculture across the West. And he was, it was a patent infringement case. And he was uh, asked to be on the legal team uh, involved in, in this case. He was very excited because there's a lot of, you know, it was a big deal and it was a lot of, it was money and, and publicity involved. So anyway, the tr case was tried in Cincinnati. He gets on the train, he goes to Cincinnati, gets off the train, he walks up to the hotel where the other lawyers are staying and he walks in the lobby and some of the lawyers on his own legal team are, are in the lobby. And one of them is a, uh, one of the lead attorneys on his own team was a very well-known, prosperous and uh, 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 attorney from of his day, very good attorney, but he was kind of an arrogant guy. And he took one look at Lincoln and he said in a voice loud enough for everybody to hear, uh, who hired that long-armed baboon? He said, he said, he can do us no good at all. I and mean, this guy just viewed Lincoln as, as I say, as a hit from the sticks. And Lincoln was, was mortified, he was humiliated uh, and this guy completely cut Lincoln out of the case because he just he viewed Lincoln as just he's basically uneducated, you know, uh, hick, as I say, and wouldn't let him, you know, say we're in the courtroom or taking his briefs or anything. Uh, at any rate, Lincoln, you know, he, Lincoln doesn't quit the law. He, in the end, I think it just makes him make up his mind to be the best attorney he can possibly be. Years later, he hired that arrogant attorney from Pittsburgh. Uh, to be in his cabinet, Edwin Stanton. He made him his secretary of defense <laughs> That's right. uh, because he knew he was the best man for the job, even though he had, had dissed him. And they end up working very well together. Stanton's a great uh, cabinet secretary and they become good friends. Uh, Stanton is at his bedside when Lincoln passes away from that bullet that John Wilkes Booth puts through the back of his head. And he's the one that famously says now he belongs to the agents when Lincoln dies. So he comes yeah. to have a great deal of respect for, uh, for Abraham Lincoln. It's it's um it's, it's truly an amazing life and the the perseverance he always reminds me of of the character in John Bunyan's uh, Pilgrim's Progress, who who leaves his home and his family to uh, yeah. find his way in the world and find his way eventually to salvation and it's it's a religious allegory of course but the the message is in that is no matter how much you're humiliated or how many times you fail you have to persevere. And and yeah. it, he was very much that man, very much that man. The other the one other thing I'd like to ask, John, is the one thing that always floats around um, 
the, without ever finding a, a secure harbor is how religious was he? And, and the Democrats have failed or the teachers have failed, I think, to make any solid case for the atheist he want, wants them to be. They want him to be. Yeah, They've done it pretty well for Jefferson, but I don't think they have done it for Lincoln yet. And his, his, he was certainly not an um, orthodox Christian, but it seems to me you, it, it's very hard to explain his, um, some of his actions and much of his writings without at least concluding that somewhere in there was a Christian. Yeah, he, was, he definitely was a man of deep faith um, at, during his presidency. Earlier on in his life, I think there's a good bit of evidence that he was a doubter. And he certainly he was uncomfortable with organized religion, as you say. He, even though he knew the Bible very well and read it all the time, quoted it all the time, he never uh, he never joined a church his whole life. He was never baptized. He he reportedly told more than one person. He said, "If you can find a church for me where the only requirement for membership is the great uh, commandment, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and love thy neighbors as thyself," he said, "That's the church I'll join." I think a lot of the dogma, which was very strict, you know, in 19th century America, especially yes. in those frontier churches, that just bothered him. But he he spent so much time with the Bible when he was president, and um, he uh, I think he looked for it. He gained a lot of wisdom from it. He told his friend Noah Brooks, he says, "I've been driven many times upon by by knees uh, out of the sense that I had nowhere else to go." And he comes to see God as taking a direct hand in, in human affairs and, and being very much involved in the Civil War, as you know. He, he, yes. he views the Civil War. Lincoln comes to view the Civil War as God's punishment of North and South for the sin of slavery. Um, you know, the, I think whether or not he, you know, his, his wife, Mary, after he was gone, uh, said that he was on the verge of uh, becoming, getting baptized and, and joining a church. So she, she felt that he was, according to her, um, it, it come around to saying, okay, I'm, I'm ready to pull the, the trigger on, on actually joining a church. We'll never, we'll never know that. But I think what we do know is just undeniable that he, um, as, as the civil war got worse and worse and just more, you know, the blood just flowed and the destruction piled up around them. He turned more and more to the Bible and, and to God, and I think it became a, a deeply spiritual person uh, in his in his own unique way. Yeah, I, and I always I always think that if you if someone knows the Bible, he knows better sometimes than some of the religious leaders, so called, that we see around the place today. It's a uh, he's uh, it's just a remarkable man, yeah, Colonel. Do we have time for one more question? Yeah, I think we uh, we got a few more minutes. I just want to say this, you know, John, one of my favorite statements is, you know, a wise man can learn more than a more th from a fool than a fool can learn from a wise man. And it's true in many respects. But yeah. also, I want to let you guys know that on New York Avenue in D.C., there's a big old brick uh, Presbyterian church that Lincoln attended back in yes. the day. Yeah, it's on that triangle corner. Uh, you will not recognize it today. Uh, John and Mike, uh, it's got rainbow flags all over it, and it's got <laughs> everything you want uh, for the modern culture. And I think if Lincoln was alive walking down today, he'd bow his head in tears saying, gee, what happened to this country? And, you know, um, at the time that Lincoln was the president, Mike, we're pretty much in a critical moment right now. But go ahead, continue, Mike. Yeah, I, I just wanted, uh, it's kind of a selfish question, John, but as an author, I always like to ask other authors, 
Was there a piece of evidence, a piece of research you found that actually made you gasp? Gosh, boy, that's a that's a good question. Uh, I'm I'm not well. I, yeah, I, you know, one one thing that really struck me and it continues to strike me was that um, Lincoln's mother, Nancy Hanks uh, Lincoln, died when he was very young, not not even ten years old. They're living out on the frontier, you know, uh, just way out there. There's no undertaker or funeral service to call, and they have to deal with this themselves. So Lincoln's dad, Tom Lincoln, who's a good carpenter, whipsaws some block, you know, planks and to build the coffin to place his wife in. And young Abe, they don't have any iron nails to put this coffin together with. So he's given the task of whittling wooden pegs to knock together his own mother's coffin with. And, you know, to me, it's just, it just that always is just hit me over the head. And, you know, he had that famous melancholy side to him. And that might have a lot to do with it. Uh, just the, the loss that he suffered early on and then through his, his whole life, so much yes. uh, loss. So I, um, maybe maybe that's the first thing that jumps to my mind. Just I, I, real quickly, I do want to clarify one thing when I said he never joined a church. He never officially joined a church, but he went to church. Uh, he liked going to church. And then that New York Presbyterian Church, as you said, in, in, uh, they they um, they pay, I think, $50 a year to rent a pew there, which is what you did back then. That's how you paid your dues. And he went. Phineas Gurley was the minister there. And Lincoln uh, enjoyed going to, and became friends with them. So he was he went to church and, and liked going to church but never, uh, never joined a church his whole life. All right, John and Mike, we got two minutes till we sign off and go ahead. Well, John, you, you know, it, it is always interesting to talk to an author, whether, whether the book is good or bad or to learn about what he knows and what he found out, but you have been an exemplary guest for us. Um, we have learned a lot from you about Lincoln. We've learned uh, much about your own personality and your approach to Mr. Lincoln. And um, I, you know, I don't, I don't, there, there's no way to, to, to look at this man without thinking that he is remarkable. And we've had in, in our history, in our core of historians, people who want to make him into a, uh, just a gangsterish uh, uh, lawyer um, uh, to, uh, a, uh, you know, a, 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 all kinds of things, like you said, zombies and all of that, that stuff. All right. Uh, uh, the picture you've painted in the real splitter and in, in old Abe is truly a tremendous oh, gift to the American people. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you, all sir. Right, thank you. And thanks for coming back to the national security hour on America out loud on iHeartRadio. Don't forget to visit us and rate us on Apple. With Liberty and Justice for All, Mike and I are signing off on the National Security Hour. See you next week.